Good morning. For special music this morning, I was grateful to have uh, my son Eli uh, so into Christian music that he picked out a song uh, for me. And I was uh, really excited about that. And it just happened to be a song that he is trying to learn on guitar. And uh, unfortunately, this week has been so crazy, we have not had a chance to practice. And so I want to do this song when Eli's ready and I'm ready to do it. So uh, we're going to forego the special music this morning uh, so that uh, my son and I can play together. Uh, we are in this sermon series entitled Faithful. God never fails, and he surely ain't going to start now. Amen? We are going through this sermon series looking at several psalms that talk about God's faithfulness, even amidst the worst of our trials. And this morning, we're going to talk about when we face financial difficulties. Let's begin in prayer, and we'll, uh, we'll go. Lord, you are good. I said, Lord, you are good. And we know that you are faithful. You've been faithful since the beginning of time. Lord, you proved your faithfulness to Israel. And Lord, you certainly showed us your faithfulness when you rose from the grave. We celebrate you this morning. Asking that your guidance and leading, leadership of your Holy Spirit will just move in such a way that we can truly understand your word, and that we can be guided. And so, Father, as we study and as we look deeply into your word, we pray that you'll open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes to your truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wish they had the statistics out currently after the United States and the world has gone through such an awful pandemic. But according to the Federal Reserve pre-COVID, pre-COVID, Americans had over $1 trillion in credit card debt. United States citizens had over $1.22 trillion in auto loan debt. And the average balance of a student loan is just over $50,000. CNBC did a study on this just a few years ago. And they learned that millions of Americans, millions of Americans are just $400 away from financial ruin and hardship. Many of those folks would just have to borrow money or sell something if they came up with a $400 unexpected debt. The reality is financial hardship is a reality, and a reality that many here have gone through, and maybe some are currently going through. And this morning, my hope is that as we study Psalm 73, we'll find some words of encouragement, maybe some words of warning to those of us who have faced and who will face financial difficulties. So we're going to start in chapter 73 of Psalms, 
And we are going to read the first five verses to start off. The psalmist says, surely God is good to Israel. Amen. He's good to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, he says, my feet, they almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For, he says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have any struggles. Their bodies, they're, they're healthy and they're strong and they're free from the burdens common to man. They're not even plagued by human ills. Today, let's start with a word of warning when we face financial difficulties. Let's be careful not to envy. The psalmist here says that his feet nearly slipped. He almost lost his foothold due to envy. And if we look at how he envied, we can see that he looked at those who were full of sin, who were full of pride. And he watched as, as he seemed to struggle while they were struggle-free. Maybe he was weak as they were healthy and strong. He was full of burden and full of trouble while they were free of both. His life was hard. Their lives were easy. And it causes us to imagine the psalmist as one who is not having nearly the good luck that these folks are having. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we could probably know that the first temptation when facing financial difficulties could be envy of those who are doing better than we are. I believe envy is the enemy of generosity and of joy. I read an article this week with hopes that maybe if I share these words, maybe it can help us all kind of conquer this first temptation when it comes to envy. The article suggested that we thank God for the success of those people that we're envying. Can you believe just starting off with that as our feet maybe start to slip into envy? Maybe we could pause and just thank God for their successes. And Jesus, you know, told us to pray for our enemies. And maybe that kind of thought might get us back on the right track. Secondly, the article suggested that we pray, listen to this, for their future success. Now, that's a hard one. I mean, if they got A's and you got B's, maybe you could thank God for their A's, but are you going to continue praying that they can receive those A's? The third suggestion they made is to enjoy the gifts that were given to them. To enjoy the gifts given to them them. Imagine your co-worker get, getting that important talk at the convention instead of you. And you should go and enjoy. Take some notes. Maybe try to learn something. That would be a very difficult way to do it. Maybe your brother got the voice in the family. Well, that means you get to listen to that beautiful music. So enjoy. Easier said than done. And the final one here that the article suggested was to praise, 
praise the one you envy. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's useful for helping and building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. It'd be easy, right? It would be easy to fall into temptation of of maybe trash-talking, maybe talking behind their backs. Choose to praise instead. Have I stepped on enough toes this morning? Can we move on? Amen. The psalmist continues in verses 14 through 17 because he, he's starting to feel. We're seeing a lot of feelings come out in the psalm. He says, I was plagued. I've been afflicted, he says. Every morning brings new kind of punishment. Now, if I had spoken out like that, I would be betrayed. I would have betrayed your children, he says. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God and I understood their final destiny. That's an interesting thought. When I tried to understand all this, it, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God and I realized their final destiny. That brought some relief to him because he realized that, you know, possessions are temporary. They may be rich here, but there is a final destiny for all of us. Possessions are temporary. There's an unknown, unknown author who wrote that money will buy you a bed, but not sleep. It may buy you books, but it's surely not going to buy you brains. Food, but not an appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusements but not happiness, religion, but not salvation, and maybe a passport to anywhere in the world except heaven. You know, it was Jesus who said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, that we should seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And Paul, who said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen, it's eternal. The Bible is clear on this topic, which is one of the great encouragements that, in which we can depend, right? Jesus told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, right? And he says that the rich man, he lived in luxury here on earth, and Lazarus, he did not. Lazarus, he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. But in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells us that it was Lazarus who got to enjoy eternal blessings, but the rich man who suffered in eternity. It was flip-flop. And in Revelation, we're told that John has a vision of the multitude who suffered here on earth who were free and enjoying life everlasting with Christ. 
Now our financial struggles here and now may be real. They may be full of emotion. The psalmist says that he was plagued by that and his envy. But we can be sure of this, that it's all temporary. Whether you have a lot or a little, God will reward not those who have a lot or a little here on earth, but those who are faithful. And that we can be sure of. The final thought I have is probably my favorite line in the whole psalm. We can could, we could see a warning here to not be envious. We can see the encouragement that everything we have here on earth is temporary. But this final line, it's my favorite. God is your portion. God is your portion. Look at verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's a hard text for us to understand because this concept of portion doesn't, doesn't translate well into English. Uh, for example, if we were thinking about a portion, maybe we're thinking about a fellowship meal, right? In a fellowship meal, you always let the pastor go for first so he can get his portion, amen? No, you take, when you go through that fellowship meal, you take a, a portion of what's being shared. Or, or maybe if you're thinking of a legal settlement, the settlement is made and then those who are part of that settlement get just a, a portion of that settlement. A portion, that's not what the psalmist attended. In the book of Joshua, God separates 11 areas that are designated for 11 tribes. Every community, except for the Levites, were assigned land. That was their portion, land on earth. But there was one tribe, there was one community, that was given a different kind of portion. The Levites were given a spiritual portion. It wasn't land, and it wasn't possessions. The Levites were given maybe rights to a few cities and a portion of sacrifice to offer to God, but the Levites' portion was God himself. God never intended for the Levites to own land or possessions. They must completely rely on God to live. God was their portion. As Joshua separated the land, they would receive nothing physical, but everything spiritual. The Levites would become the spiritual leaders of Israel and serve as a liaison between God and man. Therefore, their portion was God and God alone. And the psalmist understood that concept, that it was not a portion of what the world has to offer. It was not a portion 
of what we have here on earth. Don't I deserve something, maybe you might think? We've got everything we need in God alone. The church really struggles with this. And it has for a long time. In fact, James had to warn the church. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among yourselves? Remember? He says, don't they come from a battle that rages within? Because you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives. That you can spend what you get on your own pleasures, right? James understood. In Sunday school, Carl, I think, beautifully pointed out that whether you're rich or poor, there's always going to be a struggle, right? There's always going to be this struggle. The people weren't asking for a portion. They were asking for a portion. (laughs) We must ask for God to be our portion. A famous pastor and scholar, Walter uh, Brueggemann, he uh, said about this psalm, in such a way that I just could not recreate, and so I'm going to share this quote. The psalm impresses one in its remarkable insight and candor. It's a tale of a heart that is seduced, and then it's healed. It's a heart that was isolated, but then it was restored to fellowship. This psalm, The psalmist started out, talking about the envy that tore at his heart. I don't know what kind of difficulty he was going through, but it tore at his heart. But then it was restored. It was only restored when he realized that God was his portion. He's able to work through that envy. He's able to come to the realization, the possessions, that all around them, they're temporary, and that God is all that we need. So I don't know what your struggle is this morning. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's not. Listen, working through envy and saying God is my portion, that's easier said than done. We're going to need some help. Amen? And that help comes through the transformational power of Jesus Christ resurrected. That's what's going to get us through those hard times. When you give your life to God, you're rewarded with this kind of power to get through and to rely and to trust. When you join a community of believers, you'll find the encouragement you need when we're all on the same page that God is our portion. And that's why we take communion together. We are declaring in unity that Jesus died, was resurrected, that he's faithful, that we can trust him, that we can 
place our faith in Him. And as we prepare for communion, I'm asking you to allow God to be your portion. Not your possessions, not your car, not your house, not even your family. Let God be your portion. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful that we can trust in you. I'm thankful that you have been faithful through it all. I'm thankful, Lord, that your son resurrected. That you brought him back from the dead and that he now reigns in heaven supreme. Father, as we gather around the table, as we sing these songs, we declare our allegiance to you. And I pray that you'll continue to transform our hearts so that we can trust. And we pray in Jesus' name.